If you will, open up your Bible to first or your app or whatever you're looking at. And this book is God speaking to us. It's still divinely protected, no matter what anybody said. If God can make the earth, he can keep his book. Misinformed people say, well, you know, the Bible, it's been translated so many times. I don't have time to get into that. But you, you, if anybody who does any kind of research knows that is a falsehood. I mean, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and had multiple books of the Old Testament, you know, virtually all the book of Isaiah and a bunch of different things like that, that were, you know, from before, really, you know, the time the Bible was, you know, the New Testament was made, they compared the book of Isaiah to the book of Isaiah we have here, and they're the same. So to use that, 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 oh, you know, it's been translated so many times, actually is just a ploy of the enemy to rob people from having confidence in God's word. Amen. And so God is big and he can protect his book. Amen. First Corinthians 15th chapter. I'm going to talk about it pays today. 15th chapter, 57th verse. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God, who gives, who gives, wonder what God gives. Well, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he have for you? Victory. Victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over different things that we would face in the world. He gives us victory. Notice what it says after, therefore, or because we can live victorious. Notice what he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. So if you have victory, you can be steadfast. Right? I mean, if you have the victory always, you can be steadfast. He said, be immovable. That means if you walk in victory, you can not be moved. And then he said, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means if we're living in victory, we can do his work too. Because notice what he said after. He said, knowing, and this is the phrase right here I wanted to look at, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When we serve the Lord, when we live for the Lord, when we do His work in the church and do His work by praying and reaching people and loving one another and all the different things that we are told to do, it's not in vain. And there's a lot of times the enemy will start pecking at people and going, you're, what you're doing doesn't amount to much. They could do without you. We don't, need, we don't need you doing that. That's what everybody thinks about what you do. That's what the enemy will tell people. Are you with me? But if God's word is God's word, he just said your labor is not in vain. It's not empty and it's not useless. You'd look at it the other side and go, it has divine purpose. And it is necessary. Vain means just empty without, you know, really effect. So you could say it like this. 
we, because we can live in victory, should be doing God's work while we're here on the earth. And our doing His work is not empty. And how many people will make fun of a Christian? They don't know better. Oh, those Jesus people, whatever. They don't realize they're making fun of something that is actually effective. Because if he said it's not vain, then that means it is useful and it is necessary. There is uh, an effectiveness here. That's just the kids. <laughs> They've gained control over the teacher at this, at this point in the service already. Usually it takes about 30 minutes. Then you go and pick your kids up and the teacher's tied up with ropes and duct tape. And No, that was actually the teacher. Luke, maybe he's gaining control of the class. Luke, the 22nd chapter. And so you think about it. You know, the teacher's tied up in there. We're in here. No, that's not what I meant. Think about it. Our work pays off here and is necessary. And God wrote this stuff down so we would know and have a proper perspective about what we're doing while we're here on the earth. Because, you know, people can lose their perspective. You know, life is short, but has the day ever been long? You ever had one long day, but at the same time you could be talking to people and go, man, life's short. Life is short. And then you're like, is this week ever going to end? But then you'll tell people, and the older you get, you'll tell younger people, life is short. Isn't it true? People can lose perspective like that. They get in the grind of life, and they're like, oh. But realize, life is short. But there is a necessity to realize that people can wear down a little bit if they're not careful. Are you with me? Luke 22, uh, we're going to look here, but Galatians 6.10, 6, 6.9 says, Don't grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart and faint. Then the 10th verse says, Whenever you see an opportunity to do good, and he's talking about to people, but in the kingdom and to believers, he said, when you see an opportunity to do good, do it. Do it. Do it. Well, I just don't know if this is the best time to do. No, now is the best time to do. Because your labor is not in vain. It is effective to do good, not to wait. You could be waiting, and that might not be good. You know... We, we, if you're familiar with the news right now, Russia is on the move. They've invaded one country. Technically, they have gone into two. They did drills in Belarus, and then now they're there and have moved in. Those countries thought, will they attack us? Now they're like, um, we need more weapons. We need more arms. We need more help. Well, if you know you have an adversary, it's good to start doing what you need to do today. And there is an adversary out there. 
And we need to realize our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Are you with me? Since I told you to turn to Luke, I'm going to tell you to turn to the book of Revelation first. Revelation, the 12th chapter. If our labor is not in vain, then you would say working for the Lord and serving the Lord and doing His things are effective. They're necessary. Our part in the kingdom of God is crucial. When somebody says, ah, you know, the Lord doesn't need me, but He needs all those other people, but me, He could do without. Well, just go cut your finger off. Cut your hand off. You say, that would be horrible. And, and the same thing's true because we are the body of Christ. The Bible said we're his hands. You know, it talks about being different body parts. So the body is necessary to the kingdom of God. And if he said your labor's not in vain, then he's really saying we are an extension of the head, Christ, in the earth. And it is necessary for us to do our part. Notice this in Revelation 12, and we'll begin reading in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come, or have come. In other words, heaven recognizes the kingdom of God is here on the earth now. Now obviously the Lord is going to come back and set up his an, an earthly kingdom. But the fact of the matter is Jesus said when he left, the kingdom of God will come at first, not with outward observation. You won't see it. He said, for the kingdom of God will first come in you. That's why little kids, you know, when we teach them, you know, Jesus lives in me when I ask Jesus to be my Lord. In other words, when a person receives the Lord, the kingdom comes in them. Not only does the kingdom come in that person, the king comes in that person. Christ in you, the Bible said, the hope of glory. But that's not worth outward observation. But he's recognizing here the kingdom of God is in the earth, in people. And he said this power and, and has come. And then notice the next part, it says, for the accuser of our brethren... He's talking about the devil, accuses people. You're not necessary, you're not important, you don't have victory. He'll accuse and accuse and accuse. Who accuses them before God, our God, day and night, has been cast down. Well, where did he get cast down to? Jesus said, Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He got thrown out. He tried to take over heaven. Someday he's going to try to take over the temple mount and act like he's God in the earth. We call him the Antichrist. And we recognize here, and he said, he, he was cast down. Well, where is he cast down? He is cast down right here. He is in the earth today. Notice this, verse 11, and they overcame him, who? These people who are believers. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, 
Because Jesus sacrificed his life. And by the word of their testimony. Think about it. How did and how does somebody overcome the enemy here on the earth? It's a good question. Because if we just read a verse that said, your labor is not in vain, your work is not in vain, and right before the reason why I told you you could do what you need to do in the earth is because Christ gives you the victory. He paid for the victory. And if he said you've got that, he's giving you some clues here how to walk in it. Notice, the blood, in other words, we are purchased by Jesus shedding his blood. Then it says the word of your testimony. Have you declared Jesus as your Lord? Once you have, you still have to keep a vibrant testimony. When the enemy comes, no, I belong to the Lord. I'm his possession. He cannot gain access, but there's another part right there. Because they did not love their own lives even to the death. That meant they lived their life for God too. You can't open the door to the devil and think you're going to have victory over him. That's why it said submit to God, resist the devil then, and he will flee from you. The devil's afraid of you, so he wants you to submit to stupid things. Why? So he can come in and destroy. But if you love not your life, meaning you just live your life for the Lord, then you can run the dude off. What are we talking about? We're talking about doing work for the Lord here. Notice the very next verse. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. Why? Because salvation has come. The power of Christ. But notice this. He says some other things here. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Wait a minute, we're on the earth. But remember, he already told us, he gives us the victory always. And not only do we get the victory always, he just told you right there in a nutshell, be sold out to the Lord. Because it doesn't work when you're not. But be sold out to the Lord. Just follow him. Use your testimony. Realize you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. But notice, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath. The devil is not the world's friend. He'll make me rich. He'll do this. No, he won't. He's a robber and a thief. He may give you something, but he's robbing you the whole time. Notice this. He has great wrath, and he has come down here. And he's doing a work. He, he's, he's trying to manipulate. But now remember, in the context, we know how to win. We know how to win. He has destined us to win. 
But notice, because he knows that he has a short time. Like I said, if, if those people in the Ukraine knew they only had a short time until Russia really invaded, they might have thought, well, just parts. They'll go after parts, not the whole country. If they knew that, they probably would have prepared better. I read an article for the sake of the idea here that after Putin had attacked and annexed Crimea and people put sanctions on the country, I didn't know this. He started buying up billions of dollars of gold and all kinds of foreign currency to make it so that sanctions would not hit him when he went to do something like this. Think about it. He's not a good guy. We know from Bible prophecy, eventually Russia will come down, or Turkey and those different countries, and Iran will come against Israel. It's mentioned in the book of Ezekiel. We know that. This dude is starting to act weird. But notice, he's got this drive and he's been doing something. Why is everybody getting all stirred up about all this stuff? And all kinds of stuff is happening in the earth. Notice the enemy will come having wrath. Notice it didn't say like the world's just going to get so peaceful. Because that's how the devil is. He's stirring up wrath. Notice this phrase because he knows the time is short. You could say it like this. The devil is a strategist. He's a military strategist. He's got foot soldiers that work for him. That's why I said you look at that country, he's moted by strategy for evil. Now we're in the kingdom of God. You can't think that God is not a greater strategist. He has to be a better strategist. So if he knows that the enemy's been moving, and he knows that as the time gets short, the enemy will recognize that the time is short, he'll start pushing to do things because he knows if he's going to make his play and do his thing, he's got to be this ultimate strategist, but he's not the ultimate one. But here's the thing. Is not God a strategist? Before the great flood came, because man's imagination of their heart was constantly on evil, and it said that's all they imagined all day long, God started preparing a man and an ark to rescue anybody who would get into the ark. Strategist beyond. God's people are bound in Israel or in Egypt. They're, they have a promised land that God promised, there are slaves years before, years before they're ever delivered, God starts putting things in a man's heart. I'm going to use you to deliver these people. His name was Moses. Why? Because God is a better strategist than that enemy who had his people in bondage. And so he started working and preparing. Not everybody could see the preparation. 
but he was doing a work. God is really the ultimate strategist. Here's something interesting. If you're a Christian, God has been dealing with you. Flat out. He just flat has been dealing with you. If you've been saved, there isn't one person, the Bible said in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that is not dealt with by God. One sign that you know the Lord is He deals with you inside. And there are some people He's going, listen, go for it. Do this. He's the ultimate strategist. Well, I just, you know, there's so much I want to do. If the enemy knows the time is short, God knows the time is short. And if God knows the time is short, and the devil knows the time is short, and so his demons are doing stuff based on that motivation with wrath, shouldn't we know? Jesus wanted people to know. He, he told some of the religious people when he came on the earth, he said, you could tell the weather, you can tell this, but you don't even know the time of your visitation. I am standing in front of you and you don't even recognize it. So if the devil is a strategist and he knows the time is short, God does better. I mean, God knows the day. The hour, the enemy just knows random, it's short. So you have to think. If the enemy's strategic God is more and remember we're the bride of Christ that's awesome we all get to wear a white dress the girl's like I've always wanted to do that but remember we're also in the Lord's army so are you saying like it's a camouflage dress no, I'm just saying we're the bride of Christ, but at the same time, we're in the army of the Lord. So when the, the commander-in-chief gives an order, what you should do is go, I'll think about that. Because, you know, that's how they do it in the military. When they tell you, uh, you're going to be waking up at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock every morning and running 5 miles to get started, you're like, well, I'll think about that. And you go in and they go to cut your hair and you're like, just a little over the ears. I like it down to my, you know, short on the sides a lot in the back, you know. Business, party, business up front, party in the back. That's what I want. They don't give you an opportunity. They go, there. And you start crying, this is bad. No, this is what you get. And so we need to understand we are the bride of Christ, but we are also the army of the Lord. And when God gives a command, he's trying to get the body ready. Well, think about it. No, we don't think about his commands. We'll just... Amen. This is so good. But what are we talking about? We're talking about doing God's work. And if we recognize we're in a situation where there is work over here being done, we need to realize our work is not in vain in the kingdom of God, and we are to be doing work and to be doing it 
now. Amen? And God is ultimate strategist. And these things are real and they're important. You know, we're not doing a dress rehearsal right now. You know, I, I do weddings, you know, at times, and so they do rehearsals, you know, and you go stand here, stand here. And, you know, when you do those, for the most part, they're pretty sloppy. You know, like people are like, oh, standing here. Okay, I'm here. And they're over here talking to somebody, and you're like, okay, you stand here. Now, they're not going to do that in the wedding. Hope not. Anyway. And, and then, they, you know, when the wedding comes, they're all business. But we don't get a dress rehearsal in the kingdom of God. It's one and done. One call, one opportunity to do it, that's it. And then either you did it or you didn't. Either we do or we don't. And so when it says here, the devil has come down to you, having great wrath because he knows, now this is to the whole earth, because he knows the time is short. We should know the time is short too. And we're not subject to him. He already told us how to overcome him. That doesn't mean we won't be tempted, but we can use our testimony and say, hey, but our, you know, I live for the Lord. The problem with many people's struggles is they aren't fully on board. They're still liking other things. Now, I'm not saying you can't enjoy the things of the world because I believe the things that are in the world, not the things of the world, so to speak, but the things in the world were created for us to richly enjoy. Amen? The mountains, the trees, the oceans, whatever it is, were made for us to enjoy but the same thing, there's a difference between enjoying and just totally giving yourself to that. Turn now to Luke 22. When the Lord tells us to do something, just like in the military they tell you to start running, they don't tell you maybe all the reasons why you need to run and why you need to use a weapon and why you should be doing those things right now. But they will pay off for you when the time is right. Are you with me? And, and this is kind of the God's way. You know, God will start preparing you. He'll deal with you about things. But you've got to progress. You've got to obey. You have to do things sometimes that are uncomfortable. I remember right out of high school, I, after I'd given my life to the Lord, I had some recruiters call me. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. I said, you should join, you should do this. You know, you took this test, you scored real strong in this area. Um, and, and I said, well, could I just read my Bible every morning? I like to read my Bible. And they were like, well, I'm going to... I guess you could read it sometime, but not on your own terms, maybe. I said, well, that probably isn't going to work out for me. But when we're in the Lord's army, reading the Bible is part of it. So that worked out good. Get in the other army. 
Notice this Luke. Luke 22, verse 28. We're talking about doing work. You know, not all work that you do is going to be easy and comfortable. Luke 22, verse 28. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. This is Jesus talking at the end of his earthly ministry, and he basically said to the disciples that were basically left, you know, minus, minus Judas, who is off to betray him, he said, he said here, he said, you've continued with me this whole time in my trials. That's an interesting statement. Because most people think, well, if I was with Jesus, that would have been like the gravy train. You know, there were times when people wanted to throw him off of a cliff. There were times his disciples, these guys right here, said, one of them even said one time after they had been threatened and they were going to stone Jesus to death, they said, yeah, he, one of them just had a bad attitude and just said, let us all go back with them and all die. Because he said, I've got to go to this city. Well, last time they were there, they were threatened to be killed. And so one of them, Mr. Confident Faith person's like, great, let's all go back and die with him. Because sometimes I think people don't realize, you know, when they were out in a ship and they were really going to sink, they were really going to sink. And that there were times when they plotted to kill Jesus. There were times they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. I mean, there were times they would come just to trap him, trying to take him, you know, so they could have him arrested. So traveling with Jesus back then was not just the gravy train. But I'll tell you what, it was worth every bit of the investment that they gave. And so notice here, verse uh, 29 he said, because you continued with me in my trials, or through them all. I mean, you think about the very last time they're really with him in his earthly ministry, he gives them this advice, beat your plows into spears or swords. Some of them are like, we got swords, we got a couple of them. Jesus said, that's enough. Here comes some soldiers and some different people. Peter whips out his sword. Malchus, you remember that name. One of, the, one of the guys there gets his ear cut off. All that tells me is Peter's a bad shot. Bad with the sword. Because he's not going for his ear. You know, this ain't Zorro. I'll cut one ear off. If you don't back down, I'll get your other ear. You know those shows they shoot all your fingers off? Ah, it wasn't like that. He was aiming for his head and he got his ear. I don't know, maybe he ducked and went, Koo! he's like, he didn't get me, and his ear's all hanging down. <laughs> Whoops. It was gone. Malchus's ear. Jesus picks that thing up and slaps it back on his head. Or Peter could have been in trouble too. And the guy's instantly, miraculously healed. You think about it, these are things that the disciples had to endure. Verse 29, 
because they endured through the trials. They stuck with serving the Lord. Because really that's what they did. They lived for Him. They served Him. They really gave their all to Him no matter what. Verse 29 says, And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Whoa, talk about a reward for being faithful. Through what? Through all the trials, all the pressures. They just kept sticking with it. If you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is an interesting verbiage in there. Jesus called the disciples to follow him, but if you read, you'll see this. Jesus went into this town, and then it says this, and the disciples followed him. Then Jesus went here, and it said, and the disciples followed. You know why that's written? So we know Jesus didn't force them. They had to follow. And they were following in some not always positive things. But man, what a reward. When we get to heaven and we're all standing or, you know, standing before the Lord at some point, we're going to see these guys on thrones because of what they endured. But the Bible tells us if we'll serve God and we'll endure, there's a crown for all of us. It's good for us to know that the enemy will be working in the realm of wrath, knowing that his time is short. Because I'll tell you what, if you go, you know, it's short. It's short. That helps. You ever been underwater and thought, how long have I been here? I'm holding my breath. I got to hold it this long here. I can't, can't do that. But if you think just a short time longer, I could do that. But they get this. Let's close over here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. If the time is short, then I would think if the enemy ramps up, God's got to have been dealing with people. I mean, often people, you know, give credence to, wow, Satan knows the time is short. As if he's the ultimate, and he's not. But we need to recognize, wow, if it really is short, then it is short. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we'll begin reading in the 28th verse, and then we're going to read right into the 13th chapter, because it's all in the same context. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Isn't it interesting? Here's that kingdom talk again. Let us have grace or God's endowment of ability that's freely given to us by which we may serve God acceptably. How is it to serve God acceptably? He tells you with reverence or literally honor 
and godly fear, godly respect. Not human respect. Sometimes people just need to muster the respect that belongs to God. You know, we would do that with kids. No, you don't talk to your mom like that. You, you don't talk to your dad like that. You don't talk to those people in these places of authority like that. And we would tell them to adjust their attitude and have honor for these positions. But we're talking about the ultimate God. So he said, God gives us grace and ability. You could say it like this. He gave you gifts. He gave you eternal life. So we need to serve him because our labor is not in vain. It is effective. But we're to do it with respect to him and honoring him. Honor is to put him up in a high place. Not me. Not my friends. Not all the things I want to do get the high place. God gets the ultimate high place, whether it feels good or not. But ultimately, it will feel good when you do it the right way. Notice verse 1 of the next chapter. Or actually, we'll continue verse 29. For our God, serve Him with honor, respect, high regard, through this grace, this ability He's given, which you got when you were saved, Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, anything not of Him ultimately will be burned up. Let brotherly love continue. Now he's talking about how to serve God. How to, to do what we are called to do. He said, let brotherly love continue. We know as the time gets short that love, it says the love of many will wax cold. But for us, we, we can love till the day the Lord returns with a vibrant love, a non-self-seeking love, a real God kind of love. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, I know of people who have had profound experiences where like they helped somebody out in a situation and then all of a sudden that person like disappeared. It was like an angelic being. But right on the other hand, this can have another day-to-day -day application. Angel here just means messenger. He said, be careful to uh, how you treat other people and who you're treat, how you're treating them, strangers, because you may be actually dealing with a messenger of God, another believer. You might be, and, and wait till we read the context. Be careful how you treat people because you may be in treating other people who may be believers. They have unwittingly entertained messengers unaware. 
Treat people right because you may not realize the person on the other end of that call may be a believer and you may be entertained. I mean, you're treating them a certain way. How are we treating people? Notice this, verse 3. And we'll go back and touch a thought, uh, on a thought there. Because remember Jesus said, when you, you know, there was this one point he said to them, when they came for their reward and they had talked to him, you know, and, and he said, you know, how he had, they, these people had done all these things for the Lord. And he said, when did we visit you? And when did we do this? And, and he said, well, you visited me in prison. They said, when did we visit you in prison? When did we ever give you something? He said, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So unwittingly, people could be entertaining messengers and not realizing at the same time that when you get to heaven, the Lord will say, you did that to me. Verse 3. Everybody alive and well? Still? Okay, good. Remember, told them to remember this too, remember the prisoners... Now, we know in Matthew 25, 39 and 40, he talked about when we did something for a prisoner, it was like doing it to the Lord. But notice this verse here to me is very fascinating, especially in our world climate. I am of this opinion that as the Lord, you know, up until the second coming of the Lord, I think there will be some places in the world that will not be touched by the Antichrist. They say, I don't believe that. That's okay. Let me prove it. We know from Scripture at the very end when people know you don't even have to be saved and you know there's this battle of Armageddon. I don't know what that is, but it's big and it's bad. What's well, China, we believe, which has more than a tenth of the population will come up to attack the Antichrist who's now taken rule in, in Jerusalem acting like he's God and then the Lord comes in and stops the whole thing. That's the end, so to speak. And that's real rough. But my thought is this. If everybody is going to serve the Antichrist, how is this big 15% or more of the population going to then come against him. No, they're not serving him. They're going to come against him. I want to be careful on my math and not go to 20% because somebody's like got their calculator like, no, it was about 17%. But there's a big chunk not. And, and if you read Daniel's prophecy and the world empires that ruled, none of them ruled 100% of the world. Not one of them. Main chunks, not one of them. This is one of those that are like that, that will rule, but it will not be 100% of the world. We can prove that just from the fact that there will be Jews that will have realized this isn't him 
and will have fled, and they will be opposed to them. And here's a side thought. Anybody an eschatology person? One person? Somebody's like, I've been to the dermatologist, but never to the eschatologist. It just means the study of end times. Oh, yeah, that's me right here. Um, I lost my train of thought there. But uh, there are many thoughts about this, but concerning the children of Israel, them going in and, and, and uh, fleeing, they're not going to be serving. China won't be serving. There are other people in the earth then that may not serve him. It's only a three and a half year period that the Bible calls it the Great Tribulation. And so if it's the great tribulation, there are people who will reject him. There will be places, I believe, by Scripture that will not be touched by his rule. Because it just is co cohesive with all the other kingdoms. And so if people uh, would realize that, there's a thought here. In other words... Some of the things that are going to happen in the world may not play out everywhere in the world. Now, will it be bad? Yeah. I mean, World War II was bad, and it affected most of the world, but there are some places that even World War II didn't get affected. Because you can live up in the jungles in Central America, and you're basically exempt from most things. Why? Because you raise your own chickens, your own coffee beans, whatever. You know what I mean? Your own rice, your own this, whatever, and you just kind of live that way. It's not like you live in the type of lap of luxury, but things affect the whole world. I am convinced that while we're here, we will live, there will be people who will live in victory. The kingdom of God will have prosperity. Jesus lived in a hostile environment. Now, don't get the idea of prosperity all goofed up in your head. But when Jesus was on the earth, there was prosperity in this aspect. We got all these people. How are we going to feed them? You do something about it. You break loaves. You do this. You multiply loaves and fish. He told them to do that. Somebody said, oh... It was still work. Anyway, I'll get back to that thought. Let's read on. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Notice this. He basically said we need to be doing work, we need to be driven by certain things, we need to be faithful to serve the Lord. And what's interesting here is he said, remember other people in other circumstances like you're with them. Sometimes people live their Christian life like they're not with other people. There are people today we should be praying for in the Ukraine, other places in China where they're thrown in prison for their faith. We should pray for them and realize we're in the same body. And he said, remember them 
that are mistreated, people in prison, because you can, we can get so busy with our life, we don't serve God like we could or should because we don't remember everybody else who has a need. Wow, what a bummer for those people. I heard a story about a guy giving an interview who walked 50 miles, took him a few days to get out of Ukraine into Poland in the snow. He said there were hundreds of thousands of people trying to do that. Has anybody thought about that? You know, while we're eating our burrito? So what he's saying is remember them as though you're in the body with them. What should that do? And it just doesn't mean somebody in the Ukraine. It means people in my neighborhood. What if they don't know the Lord? I need to think what it's like when I didn't know the Lord. For the people who come to church, I need to think about it like, man, maybe somebody needs a word of encouragement. Remember them. Maybe if I thought about the people in the Ukraine, maybe it is Bible prophecy, you know, that's starting to take place and we're watching the beginnings of the moving of, of Russia to move down. I had thought about this this morning about somebody in our church, actually Roy, in the 60s, late 60s, 70s, gave his life to the Lord, was involved, got in the charismatic renewal. Time where people just getting filled with the Spirit all over the place and God was moving and people were just being swept into the kingdom. And I remember he made this statement. He thought, oh, you know, this is how it always is. You know, he didn't realize he got in right at the end of that charismatic renewal. Other friends of his got in at the beginning and enjoyed the ride. We need to recognize where are we in time? Are we at the beginning of the end? And if we're to serve God, we need to start thinking like, man, that guy's going through a hard time. That should drive me to pray for people. If I remember people who are in prison... Man, they're believers who are standing up in there. They, they need to be fortified in prayer. Maybe fortified to do prison ministry. You, you, you get what I'm saying? But if we don't think about them, will we serve appropriately? Or will we just get too busy with our life and go, you know, someday I'm going to get around to that. But if the enemy knows, and God is the ultimate strategist, he is working on the body, and he's wanting us to think about other people. If I've been endowed with a gift, then that means I have an influence. If you've been endowed with a gift, and you have, there's an influence for you to have. But if I don't think about other people, then do I get driven to do something about it? It doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to go to the Ukraine or do something or go to China or, or somewhere but it does mean that at least I can be driven to pray or give or whatever. But remember, there are people here who need things too, so we need to remember. Amen?